podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Bosco's boys are back. And before we get into this very special edition of the part one of the second annual Dad Pod, I have to chat with you real quick about our two great sponsors. First one is SeatGeek. We've been talking about them for a while now, and everyone knows about SeatGeek. They're the single greatest ticking ticket app on planet earth and the moon if you use promo code acaa you are going to get twenty dollars off your first purchase over at SeatGeek. that is enough for a couple beers inside the ballpark stadium wherever you want to go also all sorts of great theater coming to kansas city and the surrounding areas this summer and you know, tons of concerts as always. So make sure to go to SeatGeek using promo code ACAA to get that sweet, sweet discount. And lastly, you know who it is, my bookie. They think summer is the greatest of the entire year. Beaches, sun, and of course, tons of sport. There is still maybe one game left of the end of the NBA Finals. You have some hockey wrapping up, baseball, all sorts of international soccer. You got the Women's World Cup. You have the Gold Cup going on. You got Copa America down in South America. So much stuff to gamble on. It is time to start making that bankroll all fat and juicy before college football season. So remember... It's promo code BOYS to get that awesome 50% deposit bonus, and it's time to get this bread. Now, time for that sweet, sweet intro song. Let's go. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Ooh, Bosco's boys. Come on, boys. And we are back in his very special indeed because as we mentioned at the end of last week's episode we are doing dad pod in two different episodes this year and we are kicking it off with my dad my role model and the man who got me hooked on the cats kevin dad welcome back for the second annual dad pod thanks scott it's great to be back with you uh, looking forward to dad pod part two uh, really enjoyed the first one, and I think we'll have a good time on this one as well. I do too, and you're actually in an illustrious group. You now have your hat trick of Bosco's Boys appearances. You had the inaugural dad pod, and then uh, kind of a review of a shitty game. You were the uh, number two, the guy on the number two mic for the West Virginia review. Um, I'm sure this will be <laughs> a lot more fun than that episode was. That was tough duty, but I think we pulled through like champs. Uh, so if this is the hat trick, do I get a reoccurring hat swag, <laughs> or is that? No, I don't. We we don't have hats, but uh, be on the lookout. There might be some new merch coming, and uh, I'm hoping we'll have some Bosco's Boys hats ready to roll before football season. Um, before we get into the meat of Dad Pod, it was another eventful week for K State sports. Uh, first off, everyone knows our friends at K State Online's 
online, the Rivals Network, K-State website. They've been covering K-State football recruiting like crazy. Uh, Derek Young and Flando have been in uh, Missouri, Illinois, and Texas covering camps. And K-State has gotten a handful of commits as well. They're really starting to get a good haul out of the state of Texas, which was one of the uh, worries when it came to Chris Kleiman recruiting. Um, we're not going to dig too deep into it, but uh, check out K-State online for all of your recruiting coverage. And then something that's a little more dear to my heart because I love the neutral site game before Christmas. It's returning to the Sprint Center. It's versus the St. Louis Billikens, coached by old friend Travis Ford. Uh, it's going to be on December 21st, I believe, is that Saturday before Christmas. Do you already have that in that calendar? Because you and I love going to that Saturday before Christmas game. Yeah, that's a, that's a classic uh, opportunity prior to the holidays to to go out and watch K State on the on the hardwoods. It is on the calendar. Uh, I like going to the Sprint Center. Um, been to the uh, Wichita to Wichita for that game in the past as well. But uh, I like going to the Sprint Center for that game. Should be a good time. Yep, I'm looking forward to it, and who knows, maybe we'll have another uh, pregame event and Gene Taylor might stop by again. So that was a lot of fun last year. Yeah, and that was quite impressive as well. So, uh, yeah, I hope you do have a pregame event. That was that was a lot of fun. Yep, it was at Johnny's last year, and I'm sure we will have information about uh, six months from now to, uh, to all the boneheads so we can do it again. But uh, – I think it's time to get into the dad pod, but uh, before we get started, there was mom pod last month, and uh, I can't speak for mom, but she sure uh, threw out some allegations your way. Is there anything you would like to respond to right here on uh, Bosco's Boys? Well, I, I think I do. There is one thing I do need to respond to, not a true rebuttal, but uh, I will respond to it, but first... I thought the moms did an excellent job, and who better than the the uh, moms of Bosco's boys to give an insight to the boneheads a little bit about who you really are? Because a mom's perspective is is second to none, and I thought I thought they both did such a great job. Uh, but there was one incident that mom described, and it was the first K State KU football game that we watched together in person. And you have to understand, that was Bill Snyder's very first year. And we had just gotten our first win in like three football seasons in the non-conference. And so we get into the conference play, and there were some games that we were pretty competitive in, but hadn't won. But we had a real shot to beat KU that particular Saturday. So we're in the stadium sitting together. And uh, as Mom described it, it was towards the end of the game uh, uh, we may have been ahead at that point. And then, as she recalled it, it was uh, Tony Sands, I believe, that had this long run for a touchdown, and it was quite exciting for her. Uh, Mom's not a tall person. Uh, she's vertically challenged. And so just imagine when that happens, she pops up in the air, and she's excited. She's jumping up and down, trying to see over the crowd, and she's got her hand on my shoulder as she's jumping up and down, up and down, and just cheering like no other. Uh, that didn't set real well with me at the, at the time. And so I did kind of shrug her hand off my shoulder during that time. I don't really recall her falling or going into the next row behind us. Uh, that may have been a little overstated. But she did probably lose her balance just a bit. But the one thing I do recall from that moment is that I had a lot to learn 
to be able to coexist with a KU fan. I knew that my road was further down the line that I had to I had to really make some compromises as being a K-State fan in the future. So anyway, that's that's my only response. It's not a true rebuttal. Uh, it just may have been overstated just a bit. Well, I'm glad we could get all that on the record. Um, th- there were a couple pictures that have surfaced from that bet as well. So uh, th- those were fun. I'm glad that we were able to uh, get that story out there and then have mom, you know, look around for those pictures. So uh, af- after that uh, response to mom pod, uh, we- we've sure grown since the last dad pod. So I wanted to make sure that the table was properly set for all the new boneheads about your fandom. So if you could just walk everyone through your path to being a K-State fan and what's kept you, you know, so invested throughout all these years. Well, uh, my K-State fandom really began with my father, and he kind of set the foundation because he attended K-State back in the day when he got a master's degree in, in education. And uh, so he was kind of the first one of the family to attend K-State. My oldest brother, Steve, in 1971, enrolled at K-State, and I was uh, probably about in the sixth grade at that, at that time. Uh, that's when I got my first K-State gear, and I'll never forget the first piece of K-State gear that I ever received and wore was a football t-shirt, purple, white stripes around the sleeves, said K-State, Kansas State across the front, number 75. Ooh, 75. Yeah, number 75. And uh, I, I wore that just as often as I could. I wore it proudly. Uh, but then the, the thing that really got me into K-State sports as a family, while uh, Steve was attending K-State, we would go to one football game in the fall and then one basketball game in the winter as a family. And so that was a moment, you know, that I always look forward to each year. Um, we, um, we, living in, in Osborne, where I grew up, we were a long ways from a lot of places. You know, uh, we weren't close to like a McDonald's. We weren't close to uh, a major university or a college. So to get in the car and drive you know, two, two and a half hours to Manhattan, go to a game. It was a real treat. I really, really look forward to it, and I really got into it. Um, when uh, Steve was there, uh, it was it had a really special basketball team at that time. And these are some names of players that you may not really have remembered much, except for one. But uh, players like, um, see, it was uh, David Hall, Steve Mitchell, Danny Beard, Ernie Kushner, those were really some of the great players uh, of the time, and a young point guard named Lonnie Kruger, and uh, that would be that would be a, the name that I'm sure you you would remember. Silver Lake Zone. Yep, Silver Lake Zone. So uh, then, uh, a few years later, brother Larry attended K State, and that was when I was a sophomore in high school. And uh, then another great era of uh, K State basketball occurred then as well. Then you had the likes of uh, Chucky Williams, Mike Evans, and Daryl Winston. So that era of basketball continued uh, the greatness that was in the 1970s. And then uh, 
I went to K-State in 1982, and that was during the era of Rolando Blackman, Tyrone Adams, and Ed Neely, and a, <clears throat> and a, a point guard named Tim Jankovic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good old T- Timmy Jim. Yep. So, where's, he, where's he coaching right now? Was it Is he SMU? SMU? I think SMU. SMU? Okay. That's what I thought. Didn't he coach with Larry Brown? Yeah, and then when Larry Brown went back off to the pokey, I think Tim Jank got the job. Yeah. Well, and, and then as, you know, just kind of circling back again, full circle when I was, when we were kids, you know, a lot of the games were never on TV. So we would huddle around the transistor radio, you know, and, and listen to those games. And, and that was just, I remember that being, you know, really good times and really enjoying the, the cats back in, back in those days. So that really is what got me on my path to K-State fandom. Yeah, that's awesome. So you touched on it a little bit and mom did the same uh, eventually you fa- fell in love with a young Cinny, uh, and eventually you guys began your house divided. So what was that transition like from your point of view? I think it was a lot more difficult for me. Uh, when I grew where I grew up, there weren't a lot of KU fans. Uh, it was primarily, I would say, uh, more of a K-State area or community, um, and so I wasn't really around a lot of diehard KU people uh, growing up. And then, of course, when I went straight to K-State, uh, it, you know, I just weren't around that many uh, KU folks. So um, I, I think it was a little harder for me because, as Cindy explained, you know, her family were pretty good Kansas fans, you know, the state of Kansas fans, and they were certainly diehard KU fans, but they, they rooted for K state when they weren't playing KU. So, um, I didn't really look at it that way when I, when I was growing up, it was just K state all the way. And pretty much everybody else in the, in the conference was a rival, um, didn't necessarily hate KU, but, uh, I, I wasn't in favor wasn't really for them. So, uh, and then, you know, uh, I, I learned over time that uh, it would be a much better coexistence in our household that, you know, I could, I could sit down and watch a KU game with mom and, and certainly root for KU. Uh, not as, not as rigorously as, as she did, but I could do that. But uh, then when you're in Topeka, it's a pretty split community. And sometimes you can run into, uh, folks that are really anti-K staters. And when you run into that type of person, it's really hard to be a neutral KU, uh, fan. So, uh, I, I, I found it to be kind of difficult. I think mom did a really, really good job in being a house divided. Yeah. I'll tell you what, from my time in, uh, Topeka at the downtown YMCA, you sure could run into, uh, you know, that certain brand of Jayhawk who probably never stepped foot on the campus and kind of, kind kind of, uh, you know, six, uh, needle in your side. So I, uh, mm-hmm. I have to applaud you. I think you, you handled that much better than, uh, most folks would. So, yeah. And they're, they're the worst, <laughs> you know, the, the quote unquote diehard KU fan that never even went to school there. Yeah. And well, diehard KU basketball. Yeah, let's True. let's just call a spade a spade. True, uh, but we'll we'll move on. Um, our household was always watching and playing sports, and you know, I you and mom were both Chiefs fanatics. We'd always go to Royals games, just everything. Um, when did you know that 
I was going to just go all in on being a sports fanatic. Well, and I, I think you mentioned it. I think it really started with the Kansas City Chiefs because that was a team that, uh, I mean, that's, that's actually where mom and I met was a, a Chiefs game. And uh, we were uh, probably both number one when we first met, number one, a Chiefs fan. And that was a team and a fandom that we could share wholeheartedly. Uh, but we always, you know, plopped you guys down in front of the TV if we were watching a, a game. And you were always, you know, there and were always interested. You weren't really one of those fidgety kids that really couldn't sit through a, a ball game. You could you could sit through a three-hour ball game and, and stay there and, and be interested in it. Uh, but I I was thinking about this, and I think the one thing – that made you such a fanatic when it came to sports was your sense of competition. Uh, you pretty much lived your life in those early years wanting and seeking competition in almost everything that you did. And so sports is a natural uh, competitive arena, and so I think you gravitated towards that. But I remember like when we would watch a Chiefs game, do you remember what we'd do before every Chiefs game? Well, we would go out and we would call it uh, run patterns. Throw, right. Yeah, and you would throw us the ball. And uh, I remember early on it would be Allen and I versus Air, but then it migrated into Allen and I going against each other. And right. Whew, man, I, I'm glad I might have did okay back then because I think he would smoke me if I tried to yeah. <laughs> tried to run with him now. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and then just a, a couple other examples, you know, we, we had a basketball goal in the driveway and we didn't do like one-on-one -on -one, a lot of that, but we had a lot of shooting games. We'd play horse around the world and, and those were fiercely competitive. And then in the basement, especially during the winter time, we had that little goal set up, that basketball goal. And what did you what did what did we do down there with that? We do dunk contests. Yes, and my go-to was a three sixty two hand slam, and Alan would go in between his legs. Yep. And ironically, it almost seemed like we tied quite often. Right, and <laughs> and that really frustrated you, uh, especially you. I, I I don't know if it frustrated Alan as much as it frustrated you, but uh, being the dad that didn't want anybody's feelings hurt, we'd always probably end up in a tie. And then I guess the last thing I would throw in there is what would happen when we'd go out to eat? Oh, yeah. We would, for <laughs> probably about three or four years, we would play different trivia games, sports trivia games. And mm -hmm. we talked about this a little bit last night. And mom revealed, and I think deep down I did know this, that it got to a point where you started getting pretty tired of it. Well, it, it I did because I had to come up with new questions in different categories and things. And uh, yeah, it got to be a chore when we started to go those later years when we went out to eat and I'd, I'd say to mom, I'm just like, well, I've got to come up with a trivia game, you know, but that's what we did when we waited for food. But again, you guys were really into it and that way you weren't you know, running around and, and knocking chairs over. <laughs> that's true. So when was it, mom gave her perspective of this, but when, from your perspective, was it that I turned into being such a K-State fanatic. As mom mentioned, you guys really raised us choosing. I mean, I I mean, I, I have no problem admitting this, even on this K-State fan podcast in a world where, you know, this might turn some people's stomachs. I remember having KU 
basketball jerseys, K-State basketball jerseys. I'd never had a KU football jersey, which is probably for the best. But, you know, we went down Fieldhouse Memorial Stadium, Bramlage, uh, at the time KSU Stadium. So we, tr- you guys truly did raise us right down the middle. When, From your perspective, when was it that I was all in on K-State being a K-State fanatic? Well, I think one thing that I recall was uh, early on when you were very young and Alan was first born, we took you guys to daycare and we had a daycare provider who will remain nameless. Uh, But she was one of those KU fans that we were talking about earlier. And uh, if one of you boys showed up dressed up in in K-State gear, she kind of gave you a hard time about it. And I remember a couple times in particular that uh, she was like, take that stuff off, or maybe I won't even feed you lunch or something like that. And I was just, and I think I visibly became upset with that. And I think you, I think you kind of picked up on it. You were old enough to kind of pick up on, on those kind of things. And I think that was one tipping point possibly that made you believe that possibly maybe I'm more cut out to be a K-Stater. And I don't think that totally turned you at that at that time but uh we did go to um early on we took you to a lot of k-state football games i think maybe we had uh more access or we just went to more k-state games because uh your granddad was was there as well and that was an opportunity to see him uh so i think i think the fact that ku or k-state i think in those early years when you started to really have your sports memories i think K-State football was just kind of on a meteoric rise at that at that point, and I think that might have, you know, really kind of put you over the top. But you're right. We, you went to, to KU uh, sporting events as well. I remember uh, looking back on some of the uh, early Christmas videos as well. One of the uh, things you got in a, uh, in a sock would be sporting cards, and you would get a pack of KU sporting cards as well as K-State. So I think – Early on, I think mom probably was pushing the case, the KU basketball cards on you pretty hard. Yeah, I remember, you know, memories of going to those games. But as the stories go, I, I talked about on the mom pod, the last time I was welcoming the Thomas family basketball seats was that Woldridge win in Allen Fieldhouse. So I, I think after that, they were like, all right, Scott doesn't get to come anymore. Right. And that just, <laughs> and that just put you solidly in the uh, K-State camp. Well, I think I, I was already in that camp. I was, I was wearing a, uh, I think a Cartier Martin Jersey uh, in town Fieldhouse for that game. So that was, that was amazing. And mm-hmm. we've talked about it on the podcast a few times of different K-State games we have gotten to go to. And I think in the last pod, you and I talked a lot about games we got to go to. But something that's a little more uh, funny, I think, are the list of games that we didn't get to go to together based on different circumstances. So I have a few in my mind, but I'll I'll throw it to you first. What are one or two games you think about that we didn't get to go to, but we might have had the opportunity? Well, there's two that are head and shoulders. Uh, above all else, I think. And the first was the 2003 Big 12 championship game. Is, oh, that, yeah. is that the right year oh, against yeah. Oklahoma? Yep, 2003. And, um, and you may have mentioned this in a previous pod, but I think I offered that up to you as a potential birthday present uh, that we could you know, get those tickets, go to Arrowhead, and, and watch that game. 
And as I recall, we talked about it, and I don't know that I influenced your decision on this at all, but at that time, that OU team, I think, was being billed as one of the best college football teams ever. And not that K-State had a poor year. I mean, they were in the Big 12 championship game. Oh, yeah, I mean, and just imagine what could have been if L. Roberson didn't get hurt versus Marshall. Yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. So, you know, that was – and and in retrospect, that would have been a great game to be there. That might have been one of the greatest games seen in person had we actually gone to that. And I remember uh, how enjoyable watching that game was, but how shocked I was uh, – as I recall, OU scored first, and then at that point, we just we just slaughtered them, and uh, it was that was quite a game. A lot of good memories from that game as well. Um, the second, and this is one I know that you and uh, Grant have discussed as well. Grant, I think, as I recall, lists this as one of the great games, the football games that he's seen in person, and that's the was it 2000 uh, Nebraska game. Yep, that had. Yeah. Uh, um, all the different uh, winter weather precipitation that you could have. And mom kind of put her foot down on that one. I think we were, we were set to go. And I think mom really kind of pulled the reins back on us from going there. She, she doesn't like winter weather. And I think she's very scared that there might be icy roads and there might be a problem. So we didn't go to that one. Nope, we didn't. And those are two that come to my mind, but there's one that sticks in me, and I will hold on this until my dying day. It is the final Big 12 tournament in Kemper Arena. You and mom used to, as a little getaway, you guys would get, uh, you know, Big 12 all session passes when it was in Kemper Arena, and we would stay back with, you know, a babysitter overnight. But on the first day, because KU would never be playing, you would take Alan and I to the you know, morning and evening session of the Big 12 tournament. It was the final year in Kemper. I don't know if, in my mind, I don't know if I understood it was the final year in Kemper that was going to start, you know, rotating between Oklahoma City and Dallas for a while before it came back to the Sprint Center. But Allen and I would always get to rotate. Well, it was my year, and if I recall, uh, there was the disciplinary system at Wanamaker Elementary where you had cards, you know, with points associated. Everyone started the day with a green card with 10 points, and you could go down to yellow or red, and there might have been like a black card after that. I don't know (laughs) if I ever went that low. But the day before, I got my card turned to yellow, and, you know, as as I remember it, it was just whatever, got turned to yellow. Uh, I don't know if there was issues besides just that one day, but I remember coming home with the note that I got my card turned and then it being decided I don't get to go to the Big 12 tournament the next day that Allen was going to get to go back-to-back years. And I don't even know what happened in the K-State game that year, but that just chaffed me because, you know, it was back-to-back years. Allen got to go to the Big 12 tournament, got to go to the fun little – seven up and cheese it sponsored fan zone in between sessions and man i was i was steamed and to this day i'm still a little frustrated because i i think that was a little harsh and unfair to pull on me the day before i was supposed to get to go yeah well you know looking back on that now i mean i guess i only have one thing to say is you shouldn't have turned your card you know (laughs) 
it, it might have been uh, that might have been uh, like in soccer if you get two yellows you know you get a ejection <laughs> it might have been actually something like that well i i don't know about that i uh <laughs> i just remembered thinking oh, i was no big deal didn't go down to a red you know that's what that's that was my whole thought process it was just a yellow mm-hmm. uh but I, I think you and mom had uh, a different opinion so that that was the one that really stuck out to me and uh, the only other uh, game that I can remember quite vividly is you and I, and to be honest with you, I don't even remember who it was, but I came back to Topeka and you and I were fully planning on going to Bramlage for one of the Saturday Big 12 games this past year. And we were literally getting ready to get in the car and then it came on like WIBW that they shut down I-70 due to ice and snow and that there were two or three different semis that jackknifed that you know shut down I-70 between Topeka and uh, Junction City. So that's the other one that came to mind that – you know, I would have liked to get out to Bramlage one or two more times during this magical basketball season, but weather prevented that as well. Yep, I, I remember that, and uh, that one was we we had no choice. There was no way to get there. I guess in theory, we probably could have gotten to twenty Highway twenty four, but mm-hmm. I mean, especially from where your guys' place is in Topeka, that just wasn't in the cards. So, um, one more thing before uh, you and I will do a little bit of review from our perspective on this year's sports season, but I've been critical of this marketing and I think it's easy to make fun of like the whole K-State family athletic department tagline. I do think it's a little bit hokey, but what isn't hokey is how much K-State has meant to our family. Um, I'd like you to just kind of give your perspective on what the university, the athletic department, some of these memories and games mean to you in the context of the McFarland family. Well, at K-State has meant a lot to our family. And I would just say, on, on, as far as the athletic side, and uh, I'll talk a little bit more about Bill Snyder later in this podcast, but if you look at the impact that Bill Snyder had uh, on the city of Manhattan and the, and the university, um, I, I would just say that has been profound. But as far as our family goes, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, my father, my brothers all went to K-State. Um, both my boys went to K-State. And I'm very proud of Alan because uh, here's, here's a kid that's a big-time KU fan but chose to go to K-State because that was a much better fit for him. Well, and his girlfriend was going there as well. Uh, now wife. So it paid off for him. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, I, I do not <clears throat> endorse cha- making your college choice based on any high school relationship, but if that played a part in it, it, it was a good investment and a good choice for Alan. Well, it could have been a tipping point for sure. But uh, so here uh, I got a degree in social work at, at K-State. I'm certainly not doing social work right now, but uh, that degree led to my career and a, a – family supporting career that I think is, uh, has been great for, uh, the boys, Cinny. Uh, and then I look at, uh, your cousin Caroline, for example, she grows up in a, in a KU family and, uh, is attending K-State right now and doing quite well. The one thing they, they say at K-State is it's all about family. And, and I think, you know, welcome to K-State, and it's all about family. I think there's a lot of truth to that as well, too. I find K-State to be a very inclusive university. Uh, I think there is a place for K-State for everybody. And, uh, you know, interpret that any way that you want. 
But I think there's a lot of universities, not going to name any, but are more exclusive, that it's, it's more about where you grew up. And it's, it's like maybe it's not as welcoming for, for all folks um, that, that maybe, uh, maybe would be a better match somewhere else like K-State. Uh, because like, like I say, if you, if you go to K-State and you want to get into the Greek system, anybody can get into the Greek system. There's a house for you. And certainly living, uh, you know, as an independent off campus, there's lots of activities there as well. I think K-State also academically is invested in each student to succeed. They want them to succeed and they want them to see a career after, after they graduate. So I think it's a pretty good place. Yeah, I absolutely love it. It was probably four of the most fun years of my life. Um, it really means something being able to be part of that third generation K State graduate. I, I always make jokes that if uh, you know if I'm if I'm never married or have kids or anything like that, I'm just going to adopt a 17 year old and send them to K State just to make sure that we have a fourth generation go through there. But all the memories associated with it, being able to really reconnect with my brother when he went to K State because I think I you know. We, we were not friendly on my, on my departure for K-State, but it vastly improved uh, over time. And then, like you said, e- even Caroline on the KU side of the family, her finding a place at K-State and utterly thriving um, is just amazing. I, I And it goes beyond athletics. It, yes, I, I do think it's kind of hokey how much they go into family, but um, – I don't, I think it is based in truth. You know, I, I think that it, it truly is. And I'm really glad the part it has played in our family. So, uh, you know, I really, really, uh, glad granddad decided to get his master's degree there because who knows what would have happened if he just decided, eh, I don't need that or went, went a different route. So, but I'm just, I'm just super happy how the cards played out. Well, you mentioned granddad and, and you know, this, you know, the pride that he had, when he knew that that both his grandsons were going to go to K State, you know he that that made him extremely proud. Well, and we we kind of had to pick up the banner because uh, Stephen Steve's kids sure didn't uh, carry on the family tradition. So no, they didn't even get in the conference. No. <laughs> well, we don't we don't blame <clears throat> them. They uh, left the great state of Kansas, so it it probably made a little bit more sense. But. Yep. Yeah. We will we will move on. We're going to talk a little bit about the 2018-19 season. Uh, very eventful football and basketball season. Uh, and we're going to recall back to Dad Pod 1. So some of these are going to be callbacks. So if folks want to go back and listen to that, that is in our library. So it uh, I, I, and quality has improved quite a bit, but there was some fun predictions back then. So let's, you know, dive into it. Um you did predict eight wins, including a win versus Mississippi State. How disappointing was that football season after you went in with such high hopes only to go five wins and missing a bowl for the first time since 09? Well, first off, I was wrong, it, and it was disappointing, very very disappointing. Um, I, th- there, there were some clues that we were – maybe going to have some problems early on. Uh, that was the South Dakota game, I believe, was the first non-conference game. Yep, versus the Yotes. And we kind of, you know, it was kind of a 
slogging through the mud that first game, and it was like, man. But that's that's happened before. Some good K-State teams have had, you know, uh, Division II non-conference games early on that they've, they've struggled in. Um, I did predict the Mississippi State win, and at the time um, – when we played that game, it felt like we were just overmatched. And I remember saying to you, well, Mississippi State's probably, they may go undefeated this year. I mean, they will, may win the SEC. And you were kind of like, you know, what are you talking about, Dad? <laughs> and that came became true. I, I mean, What did they win, six, seven yeah, games? six or seven. I mean, they ended up being pretty, pretty mediocre. Pretty pedestrian. Pretty pedestrian. So – so, you know, and that, that happened, you know, uh, finished up the, the non-con, and then we go right into West Virginia on the road. And I guess you could call that a boat race. Yes, uh, we got boat raced. Uh, but again, it was kind of like the Mississippi State game, maybe worse. I mean, we just looked out, outmatched and, and like we really didn't belong out there. And I was like, wow, that's going to be that's going to be really, really uh, really tough year. It's going to be hard to rebound from that. Certainly, to get to eight wins, it was going to be going to be hard. Now, then I step back and you look at the totality of the conference games in the conference schedule. I think I mentioned to you last evening when you look at it as the glass is half full. There were four conference losses by less than seven points. Great. We lost them all. Uh, we only had one game that we were behind in that we came back to win, and that was that was the KU game. So um, part of me wants to say it could have been we weren't far from really having those eight, eight wins and uh, back to another bowl game. And the fact that we went on the road to Iowa State in that oh. last game and knowing if we win – we, we are bowl eligible, and it salvages the season in my estimation. I, I like to go to bowls. And then we have a commanding lead in the second half, oh. and then it just all falls apart. That was a big thud of, a, of an ending to me. Yeah, and I, that was just – again, we, I think K-State fans as a whole on the internet, the internet K-State fans handled that one well, but that still sticks in my craw. I mean, just – just it had to be Iowa State. That just – well, well, we'll move on from that. Um, on that podcast, you did accurately predict what ended up being the biggest news of the sports season. That was going to be Bill Snyder's final, final season. Uh, how did you feel leading up to and when you finally heard Bill Snyder was going to retire? And what are your feelings towards Bill Snyder today? Well, to be honest, uh, given the, the season – when the announcement finally came, it was kind of a relief. Um, it was it was not a comfortable year being a K State and Bill Snyder fan. I I, I lumped those two two together. Um, one thing that bothered me early on and throughout the season is that I believe we handled the quarterback situation so poorly that. Neither really were, was able to uh, play to their capabilities and to the, their maximum uh, potential. Uh, it, it felt like that uh, Bill really didn't 
didn't really, I think, was invested in Skyler. Uh, and I think he, he preferred Alex Delton to, to Skyler, but I think that whole situation was handled poorly. And then uh, a couple times, maybe more than a couple, uh, with the media, post-game news conferences, I don't think Bill put his best foot forward uh, there. A uh, couple times, I think he actually kind of called out some players uh, that, I don't recall Bill doing uh, in the in the past, at least not not like he did this this last year. Uh, he he typically tried to stand in front of his players and took all the arrows, but there was a couple times it felt like he kind of threw them under the bus. So it it made it feel like that you know it's it's probably time to move on. Um, now in retrospect, I'm far enough away from the end of that season. I think I still have some pretty fond and good feelings about Bill. Um, I'm one of the old fogies who brings back what was football like prior to Bill Snyder. Uh, he had uh, two different stints as coach at K-State. Both stints had success. Uh, he won Big 12 titles, uh, and he put teams in a position to play in and possibly win a national championship a couple different times as well. Um, so, and of course, you know, the run of bowl games uh, was impressive. Um, we've, got a, we've got a statue of Bill. We've got a highway named after Bill. Um, yes, I am, I am pro Bill uh, all the way. Yeah, I, I, anyone who listens to this podcast on any sort of regularity knows my feelings. Um, it all could have been avoided if he would have left the – program in a better state but at the end of the day you know eventually we're going to have to move on to that and we will in this podcast as well it's the Chris Kleiman era so he eventually became the head coach uh you predicted last year that Jim Levitt would be the next guy you wanted Brent Venables so as the coaching search you know kind of went on what was your original opinion on landing on coach Kleiman and what's your opinion as we sit here today well at first, it kind of felt like it was a little bit of a letdown. Um, and having Gene Taylor as our AD, everyone knew that could be a possibility, that that would be a comfortable go-to selection for him. Um, but, you know, there were two or three other candidates out there that were really kind of sexy and exciting, and uh, you could really uh, feel like that it could really give a jump start um, a jump start to a new era, if you will. Um, but I, I will say my prediction about Jim Levitt, I'm really relieved now that it wasn't Jim Levitt because that would have felt like it was everything else fell through. Let's go with Levitt, you know, and I'm glad we didn't do that. And uh, I am, I am feeling like that Gene Taylor made the selection of the coach he felt best uh, was the best fit. And so now as we have had some time between the selection and today, uh, I'm feeling pretty positive about the selection. It's feeling like it's a good fit. We're, we're getting a lot more media presence with the football team. We're learning more about the personalities of some of the players and the coaches. And it's starting to feel really exciting and I'm really looking forward to the beginning of the year but I, I I will say this I think I think for 
two to three years, I think there will be a honeymoon period. Um, I think even this first year, if he doesn't win more than two or three games, which I think we're going to do better than that, I'm going to predict here in a little bit, I think everybody's going to give him a chance to recruit and coach his players. And But I'm, I'm saying this, by the third year, we're going to need to see some results. And that's very – it's funny to hear your perspective because – the world and how both of us are K-State fans is so vastly different because I'm so, for better or worse, all in and I'm on Twitter all the time. I'm on the message boards and you say you believe there'll be a honeymoon period. Well, the crazies on the internet that I surround myself with, it is the exact opposite. There there was a maybe one week honeymoon period where we started seeing some videos on Twitter that folks have uh, been very critical of them and some of the most added you know, haters of the hire, only a few of them are starting to maybe give them a chance because of some of this early recruiting success. So I I like hearing the different perspectives because I think the circles of fandom that you and I experience are so vastly different. Well, and you got to look at football differently than like basketball. And uh, I believe in a, you know, in a basketball program, you bring in somebody like a Bob Huggins, for example, with a couple key recruits, you can turn something around pretty quickly. Uh, football's a little bit different in that he inherited a team where there are position groups that are very lean right now. I mean, we just don't have any depth. We didn't have any depth for, for the past four years uh, in, in a lot of our position groups. So a lot of what he has inherited is is you know is not up to the Big Twelve championship contending caliber. I, I don't believe, um, and so I, I think you have to go through a couple recruiting cycles to really judge a coach on not only his coaching ability but his recruiting ability as well and it's all about recruiting it's all about bringing in quality recruits that fit your program and the kind of offense defense and special teams that you want to you want to run that's why in my estimation a lot of people my contemporaries i think are going to give him you know two or three years for sure well definitely and i'm looking forward to the season i haven't been this buzzed for the start of the season probably going back a couple years and then losing to Vanderbilt sure put a you know taint on that but we'll move on as you as you said we're going to do some predictions uh, I will predict with you as well but I reserve the right to change it because we're going to have like seven different podcasts between now and the start of the season where I have <laughs> to make these predictions so I, I I will not hold myself to this standard but we'll go into it the very first one we're going to go is how many wins are you predicting for this football season? I'm going with six wins. And I, th- I think it, it all starts with the non-conference. And I'm, I'm looking for a two-and-one uh, start with the non-conference. Uh, and so that leaves – got to get four wins in, in the conference play, and I think they're there. I, I sure hope so. I think as we sit here today, I'm saying five, but closer to four than six. Mm. Um Again, might change, you know, depending on what I hear. I, I just, I just don't know what we have. I wish we had uh, all three of the new coaches in the conference at home. If we would have had, you know, all three of West Virginia, Texas Tech, and KU at home, I would say maybe five closer to six. But 
the fact that you're going to have to go on the road to Texas Tech, I, I just really wish we had them at home. There's, there's one factor that's coming back that gives me a little more optimism than what I think you're, you're expressing, and that is Skylar Thompson. And having a coaching staff that believes in him. So. Right, and I, th- I, think he's, I think he's definitely the guy. We know he's capable, and we know that he has all the tools to be a very good quarterback in the conference. And, uh, uh, and I think our, our line, offensive line, is going to be strong. And given that combination, I think we're going to be able to score some points. Now, can we can, can our defense hold the opponents in the conference, you know, enough to, to win those four games? Uh, I'm hoping so. I'm a big fan of Scotty Hazleton, so yeah. I, I hope he does it. Um, the next one, this one you're going to have to project a little bit. How many years do you think Chris Kleiman will be at K-State? Well, if, if he progresses the way I hope he does in the, I'd say, years, you know, three to five I'm going to say 10 years. I'm going to, and, and that means he's going to be successful. I, and, and if he's not, it's going to be very short. I think it could be, if he doesn't have the <clears throat> success that I think he's going to have, it'll be four. But I'm going to say 10. Well, I, I hope you're right. Um, again, I'm worried. Um, I'm, I'm hoping he can get to five, I, I, but... Oh man, I, I tell you what, I I don't know. I'm gonna say five to six. I'm gonna say that he, you know, takes a parachute out and maybe takes a uh, a job at maybe like a place like a Vanderbilt or a oh, I don't know a Minnesota trying to bounce back. I think he ends up taking a parachute out because I, I'm afraid it's going to be similar to Bruce Weber where he might have some flashes. But the fans never really come around. And if Gene Taylor retires or leaves and a new AD comes around, I just – I don't know. I I just have an uneasy feeling because I, I just think the fans are going to treat him like Bruce Weber. And I, I, I'm honestly a little surprised Bruce Weber decided to, you know, stick it out through all of this. And I'm sure glad he did, though. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I can I can see his tenure playing out as you described. Um, I think if he uh, so so you're saying if he if, if he's successful, do you think he would jump to a, a a better job, or do you think he he is more of a fit long term like Bill was with K State? Well, so if if he is successful, and there's different degrees to success, I sure. don't think he will jump up because fact of the matter is if you look at some of the big hires in college football, they're going young. He in, you know, we just got done having an 80 year old football coach. So having a guy in his mid fifties seems young. Well, mm. fact of the matter is, is, you know, when you see Texas and Ohio state and, you know, all these big time programs, when they're making hires, they're going with young guys, you know, late thirties, early forties, up and coming mm. folks, so I, I think if he is successful, there might be a couple jobs that try to come after him, maybe like a Wisconsin or a Michigan State, you know, something up in like that northern, north central part of the country. Um, but I think if he is successful, he will be able to stay as long as he wants. Agreed. So, um, and the final question, again, more projecting, when the history books are written, are, is the uh, Chris Kleiman era going to be considered a success? 
Well, I'm optimistic. I'm going to say yes. Um, I think, um, you know, being an optimist and, and the success that he has had, and I think what I'm hearing from him, his coaches, the players, I believe it was a good hire. I believe it will be a success. Now, how do I determine success? Um, for me, if he's going to be a perennial uh, uh, bowl uh, participant with the, with the, the club, um, I would sure like to contend for a Big 12 title under his tenure as well. I, I would think um, if not winning a Big 12 title, coming really close at least once in the next six years. I, the only way I'm ever going to call a coach successful is if they win a Big 12 title and if they're in postseason play then more than they're not. Um, I think K-State, while there are a lot of challenges, uh, it's a athletic department that needs to strive for Big 12 titles, strive for competing in postseason play. So if, say, Chris Kleiman's here for 10 years, say he's 10 years, retires, for me to call that successful, he needs at least one Big 12 title. He needs to be in a bowl seven out of 10 years. Um, that's how I see it. And I would – I hope so. I think he's capable of doing all of that. Um, will he get the time? Will he get the support needed? We'll see. But – you know, I'm rooting for that. I really desperately want this to be a good hire. I don't disagree with any of that. So we'll move on to basketball. Uh, it was, you know, the positive highlights of the sports here. If you talk about just on the court success with that Big 12 championship season, you and I had the opportunity to go to a handful of games together this season. What ended up being your favorite game we went to this season? Well, that's pretty easy. It was the OU game, last home game, senior night, cutting down the nets. I've never, ever experienced that in my life. Uh, that moment was very, very special. We had great seats. Um, I, I will say, I mentioned to you and, and our whoever was sitting next to me during that game at halftime when Dean Wade didn't, didn't start the second half, uh, I was afraid something was wrong, and boy, something, something was uh, wrong with his foot at that point. That was, that was a sad end to his career, quite honestly. But having said that, that whole evening was just special. Uh, I thought they uh, uh, they conducted the the whole post game uh, presentation the and the uh, uh, was it Shane Southwell that actually uh, read the poem yeah that w that gave me I'm I'm getting chills just remembering that that was so cool um, but the tributes to the seniors uh, w was great. Um, and, and just seeing those guys, uh, you know, go out into the, in, into the students after the game. Um, and, and Bruce did as well. Bruce had a great time. Uh, that was a, just a really, really special evening that, you know, who knows when we'll experience that again. Yeah. I mean, uh, hopefully, hopefully soon. I, I think, uh, my hope is that this new group of, uh, three freshmen, I'm hoping, you know, I think it's, I'm, I'm calling them the three wise men moving forward. I'm, I'm sad that I didn't coin that while they were still playing, but if they can have some, some sort of replication of that, you know, I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, here, here's a question. I, I've asked a handful of people this, at what point during that big 12 season, did you start thinking, all right, maybe, maybe we might be hoisting a banner and cutting down some nets for a big 12 championship. 
Now that's pretty easy for me. Um, we, we hit a mid-season low point when we played the SEC challenge game at A&M. Isn't that, yep, yep. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, A&M was a poor team, Whew, yeah, as, as I recall. I think most everybody felt like that uh, that was going to be, you know, kind of an easy road victory. And, and certainly what ended up happening was that was a bad loss on our resume, kind of like the Tulsa loss. Um, so right after that, we had four key games in, in my estimation. Um, we had three on the road at Oklahoma state at Baylor and at Texas. And in between there, we had KU at home. We swept those four at that point. I was like, you know, our, our conference record was pretty glossy right then at that, at that point. And I was like, you know, with those key road wins and, and, and beating KU at home, which isn't always easy for us, I believed at that point. I'm like, you know, we're right up there at the top right now. We could maybe bring this home. Yeah, that was definitely the stretch. I think when, when you got that win versus Texas on the road, that's when I was like, all right, we could do this. Um, and that ended up being such a fun run in. Um, Barry, Cam, and Dean, you know, they ended up being, if not the most dynamic, one of the most dynamic threesome of seniors, K-State, maybe the Big 12 I've ever seen. What are you going to miss most about that threesome? Well, it was kind of the three, the threesome collectively were kind of uh, just so, I'm so fond of, of those three boys, you know, when they first came in as freshmen, uh, pretty highly touted. I'm always going to have a little bit more of a soft spot in my heart for Dean Wade. And I'll say this because uh, um, I got, I think, kind of made fun of a little bit in some circles. I won't mention names. But But, uh, I'll own up to it. Alan and I gave you a lot of crap for your love for Dean Wade in that freshman year. Yeah, I was just so excited that we had uh, Dean Wade from Little St. John, Kansas, this this, – uh, Kansas prodigy coming into the fold. And, and I don't think everybody felt that he was going to be the player that he actually became. Uh, it's, it's really interesting that at different times in their tenure at K-State, we all felt that each one of those guys was maybe the best of the group. I think after uh, maybe Cam's sophomore year, we thought maybe he was, he had the biggest upside. Uh, certainly uh, after, uh, Barry's after the junior year I think we thought okay well it's it's Barry Brown but in fact uh probably when healthy it might have been Dean Wade you know for all four years might have might have actually been the best better player yeah I mean back-to-back first team all big 12 for Dean Wade I mean if you look at his accolades he was the most decorated of the three yeah huge dis I'm very disappointed for those guys because uh, you know especially their senior year and, you know, the injuries that they all had, you know, Cam was injured a couple different times in his career. Dean, you know, spent more time with a injured foot than he probably was fully healthy his whole time. Barry, I think, though, I think his senior year, there was probably some injuries there. Did did we think he had a knee injury? Yeah, I think he had some, something wrong with the knee. I don't know if we ever got it 100% confirmed, but you just saw, him hit a wall at one point in his explosiveness. And I think, uh, I think he had a knee bothering him. Yeah. So, uh, I'm just happy. I'm really happy that they got 
you know, the, the conference title, their senior year, that's, that's very, very special. Um, you know, flaming out in the first round of the, of the NCAA tournament, that was, you know, that was such a letdown because we really, I really had high hopes that they could make it to the second weekend at least. I didn't necessarily think they were going to make it the, uh, the Elite Eight again, but I thought they could. Um, so, um, very fond memories, kind of ended in a little bit of a whimper, but the further we get away from that, we can look back at their career and, and their accomplishments and their, the team's accomplishments, you know, when they, uh, those four years and, and feel pretty, pretty good about it. So you have been watching K-State basketball for a much longer period than I have. Is there a threesome that comes even close to what those three guys meant to K-State? No. I, I mean, you can look at 2007, 2008, uh, when you had Beasley, Walker, and Pullen. The, I mean, can you imagine if for four years of Beasley, Walker, and Pullen? I would have settled for just a second year. Yeah. And if they would have played together, the three of them, for two years, we may have looked back and said that, that eclipsed you know, what, uh, what Cam and, and uh, Barry and Dean did. But, uh, uh, you know, when I went to school – uh, the freshman class, my freshman year had Ed Neely and Tyrone Adams. That's pretty good right there. It was there. pretty good. And Rolando Blackman was a sophomore. But when you look at three in one class and what they did freshman through senior, there's nothing really that comes close that I, that I recall. No. And I think, I think when it's all said and done, those three, you know, I don't think you can mention one without the other two and, it's going to be fun to see their, you know, legend grow as they go away. I'm hoping that they all have illustrious professional careers, whether home or abroad. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'll be cheering for those three and especially Cam Stokes, you know, as long as they're doing anything. So, yep, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, Xavier Sneed, after a brief uh, scare, he's coming back for this upcoming season. Um, with that in the cards, what are your expectations for this uh, college basketball season, 2019-2020? Well, especially with uh, X coming back, my expectations, I think, have grown moderately. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily expecting back-to-back Big 12 championships, but having said that, I think they can compete. It's interesting when you, when you look at uh, Cam Berry and Dean kind of getting out of the way now. You can kind of look at it that way as well. Will there be players that will step up in leadership and production? And I think it's very possible that can happen. I think X can step into a leadership role. You know, our guards, you know, Cardi and, and uh, McGurl, Mike McGurl, those guys maybe, you know, with, with Dean and Cam not being there, they might, uh, or uh, with Cam and Barry not being there, those uh, their roles as guards become more important. They'll have more time on the court. They won't necessarily feel like if I make a couple mistakes, I'm going to get you know yanked off the floor. So, uh, I, I guess I guess what I would say is I'm I'm expecting an upper tier, maybe top four finish in, in conference. Uh, anything less than uh, I, I really would be disappointed if we don't make it to the NCAA tournament as well. Now, a lot of people might think that's a lot of expectation on a team that lost what they lost, but we've got, we've got some good talent coming back. Yeah. I think Cartier Jada, I mean, he has his upperclassman year, junior, senior year. I think over the next two years, Cardi will, he might not be able to rack up the points, 
But I think we might look at him as one of the most explosive guys. And I, I truly believe he has potential to be all Big 12 both years. And I think X has the potential to be all Big 12. And Dejuan Gordon and Montavious Murphy and Sloan and Antonio Gordon. I, I'm honestly very bullish on this team. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do. Um, the final, mm-hmm. you know, purely sports question we have before we wrap it up a little bit. Uh, you and I had a great conversation about this last night, but with Bruce's accomplishments, uh, and then, you know, there are some lowlights as well. Where would you rank him amongst this very, you know, just illustrious history of K-State basketball coaches? Well, if you step back and look at it objectively, there's no way he's worse than four all time. And I, I kind of went through and, and did a little research on this question. I loved this question. But I've got, um, I've got like Tex Winter as, as number one. Uh, given what he produced. I have in my notes here, he had uh, two uh, Final Fours, and I can't recall how many uh, Big 12 championships he had. Yeah, he had a handful. I think back then it was Big Six, Big Seven. Oh, maybe? of course, yeah. Was, <laughs> heck, in his early years, it might have been Big Three. I'm not sure. but uh, uh, And then uh, Jack Gardner. Uh, and you got to put him either one or two with, with Tex as well because he's the only one that, coached a team into the championship game but he had two final fours uh and he had several conference championships as well um of course i i still put jack hartman in the in the top three because uh he had uh four elite eights never took him to the final four and he had uh two or three uh or four conference titles titles as well but again he was there a a number of years and you heard me describe earlier the the set 1970s man that was a golden era of of basketball and that was that was jack hartman's you know wheelhouse years right there they were really really good in fact i i would say they they were far better than ku in those years uh definitely so then bruce with uh two uh conference titles and an elite eight, in the time he's been there, I don't think I don't think anybody else is in front of him. No, I agree with you. You and I talked about this, you know, last night. I I agree with you one hundred percent. I think there is a clear defined line between the top three and the next tier. I think there can be arguments for you know some of those super old guys, you know, Givens or Garveters or whatever from like nineteen twelve, and then. Uh, Cotton Fitzsimmons would probably be in this tier. Yep. And he might have the best argument because for the, you know, he had two conference styles in like only a handful of years. So he could have an argument. Cotton is many times left out of that discussion as well, but he, he just didn't have as many years there. But yeah, he, he won conference titles. Yep. And then I think in this same tier, you have Long Kruger, Frank Martin. And I think even though he didn't even go to the NCAA tournament, uh, in his one year, I think Bob Huggins still has to be in that tier as well because he was part of the rebirth. But um, I, I I would have a hard time, and I think I'd roll my eyes at anyone who put any of those guys above Bruce now that he's been able to get two Big 12 titles and that Elite Eight. You can make a case that Bob Huggins is the architect for the rebirth of, of our basketball program because, uh, you know, when you look at the Wooly years and, and the – coach that will not be named on this podcast from me anyway uh those were i mean we we felt like it was kind of like 
pre-Bill Snyder football. It was it was kind of like, well, this is what we can hope for. Maybe we can win enough games to go to the NIT, you know. But then, you know, Huggins changed all that. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And then, you know, Frank kept it going. And, uh, again, definitely not an anti-Frank podcast. I, I love Frank. And who knows, maybe one day I can get him on these airwaves. Um, but I agree. I think I think Bruce, when it's all said and done, he's – I, in my book, number four, and I, I'm not sure he has enough years in him to ever compete for number three unless he gets to a Final Four or wins a national championship. But I'm hopeful he still has at least one more Big 12 tournament, three or four NCAA bursts in his back pocket. But I think it's <clears throat> time to wrap it up, have a couple questions, just because I like to hear your perspective on this because you've been a, you know, a, a listener and you've listened to every pod except for actually the very first one. Yep. Um, so do you remember how you found out about the show and what do you remember about the early episodes in that first year? Well, uh, I think you told me that you did a podcast, but you know, being kind of naive as a, uh, in, in this age of, of communication and, and, uh, different kinds of medium, I, I thought, well, you know, maybe you're going to do a couple shows and, and that's going to be it, you know, and, and I had no earthly idea that it would be a regular podcast and, and how it's grown and uh, the, the quality of, of, the, of the podcast that it's become. But uh, uh, when I, the first time I listened to it was after we ran into Grant's mother in, in Dylan's grocery store. And she said, uh, have you listened to the podcast? And mom and I were like, well, no, we hadn't. And uh, she said, you should, it is a hoot to hear those two. And so right after that, I, I think I might ask you, well, how do I access your podcast? And, and you told me, and I've been a listener ever since. So, uh, but, but I will say the quality of the product just from a technical standpoint has grown so much because I think you were using just some kind of an app on the, on your computer. Yeah, on the phone, and then uh, that transitions perfectly into the next kind of wrap-up question. Before we had, you know, sponsors, before we were part of Armchair All-American, before we actually had mics, I think we had, like, little lapel mics that we set up in uh, Happy Bassett for Dad Pod 1. So how different has Dad Pod 1 been to Dad Pod 2 just in the course of the technology and everything that goes into it? Well, uh, the technology is one thing. And, and like I say, the quality, there had been some early podcasts that were sometimes a little difficult to, to hear real well. And, and sometimes when you're in a, uh, like in a brewery or, or someplace, there might be some background noise, but part of that is the charm of, of it as well. You know, ordering another round during the <laughs> podcast, that that's always, always kind of fun. Uh, but you know, it's just been amazing to me, the, the guests and the talent that you have brought in, um, uh, you know, Bruce Weber, Gene Taylor, uh, coach Kleiman, um, never did get bill. Uh, I don't think he would come on our <laughs> podcast. I don't think either, but, but, you know, you've had you know, some of the KSO guys that have come on and I think, you know, that relationship has just been amazing. And, uh, and really, uh, uh, K-State fan, the, you know, the, the analytic godfather. Oh yeah. Jimmy. Jimmy is just amazing. Uh, you know, to be a reoccurring guest, uh, to come on and, and just what he brings to fandom, normal, you know, regular fans like me, the kind of the, the metrics of, of the game is 
just takes it up to a whole nother level. And, and I would just, I would just say, uh, I'm really proud of what you and Grant have, have brought to the table and, 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 you know, other guests like, um, you know, uh, Ian Campbell and, and, uh, uh, Reggie Walker oh, yeah, Reg. and, uh, you know, I, I look back, I think back fondly of, uh, Brogan, uh, Barry, when he, when he came on as well, that was a, that was a hoot because you hadn't had a lot of guests on there yet. I, don't no, I think Brogan was Brogan or fan were the inaugural guests. I, I'd, I'd have to go back and see what order those came in, but it's been a lot of fun. And uh, final question, have you ever encountered any boneheads in the wild? And are you surprised about, you know, how much the growth in the fandom has been since the original dad pod? Well, in fact I have, and it, it's early on when I, when this happened, it was really quite surprising, but first time running into boneheads in the wild, I was with you and you were kind of the bait on the hook because you, you and I would be talking and somebody would hear your voice and make it and recognize it and, and would just come up and introduce themselves. And it's like, Oh, you're Scott on, on Bosco's boys. But without being with you a couple times, um, uh, in our office, we have an annual audit, and one of the auditors of our uh, of our uh, financial reports uh, came up to me one day, and we have a little studio in the basement of our office, and he came up and asked, he says, well, has there ever been a Bosco's Boys uh, produced down in your basement? And I said, are you a bonehead? And he said, yes, I am. And then the, the other one I would mention is, and I'm not going to mention his name either, but a high-ranking uh, official in the Brownback administration uh, told me just this last uh, spring that, that he was a, indeed a bonehead. And he was surprised to hear uh, that, that, was, uh, that Scott was my son on Bosco's Boys. So, uh, yes, I do uh, encounter that from time to time. Um, I'm, I'm very proud and impressed with how this has grown. And, uh, I, I just, I see the excitement in, in you and, and with Grant, uh, you guys are really into this. You put your heart and souls into it, but I'll tell you this as a fan, as a bonehead myself, uh, being able to listen to your podcast, I look forward to that drop every single week. And I listen to it when I work out. Uh, and sometimes if it's, you know, longer than, uh, you know, my workout, I'll cut it up in, into two, uh, two listening sessions. And I just really look forward to, to it every single week. Uh, your mom and I couldn't be more proud of you and, and we, we love you so much. Well, I can't think of a better way to end this podcast. And I love you very much as well. I'm so glad that uh, you indoctrinated me into being such a K-State fan, a K-Stater being a third generation graduate um and always helping you know stoke my fandom and uh you know just keeping keeping me engaged when it comes to you know case athletics all those early years and it's uh, paying off thanks to our ad sponsors my bookie and ce but no for, for real uh thank you for coming on this is your third appearance hopefully there will be many more uh and uh we're gonna wrap it up and you know everyone stay tuned to next week for dad pod two part two when grant and malcolm take the airwaves i want to wish you and all the dads out there a happy early father's day uh we love you guys and then i'll let you uh drop grant's favorite uh catchphrase meet grant at the cathead
Podcast Network.